Good morning, everyone. Last week we prayed and we fasted and we had really a fantastic experience. And I've had some really excellent reports. One person says this, fasting was a wonderful experience. I feel refreshed, cleansed, and closer to the Lord. I'm so glad I participated. Also, I realized that I shouldn't take food for granted. I barely lasted the 30 hours. People around the world live like this every day, and I can't imagine it. Well, we've had a lot of people tell us that they want to do it again. And how many would say, just, just yell out, yeah, I did it. Just go ahead. If you, if you fasted and prayed last week, just, just say it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And man, did we ever have a great service on Monday night, last Monday night. So we are going to definitely do it again. Is that my mom and Joff? Hi, welcome home. My family surprises me. Anyways, sorry to interrupt everybody. Family's far more important. Uh, <laughs> last week, we, uh, we showed you the wind wreckage. Um, oh, where is it? We showed you the wind wreckage of one of our churches there in Ramange. And um, you'll notice that uh, we uh, put out a request to, for $1,800 so that we could repair that roof. And we got talking to, to Delson. We found out that our church in Ramangi wasn't the only church that was damaged. There were two other churches. And I said to them, I said, look, at our church is praying and fasting right now. Why don't you gather the people together there? And, uh, and by the way, they didn't ask for money. They didn't ask for a cent from us. But I felt in my heart that this is what we needed to do. And so we, we uh, contacted, uh, we talked to our leaders and staff, and yeah, we we agreed that we needed to do this. So anyways, I said, go and tell the church that, you're, uh, that, that had this problem to, to spend some time in prayer and fasting. So Delson actually went up to Ramange, and he uh, found out that there were other churches that were damaged. So the three churches gathered together to pray and to fast uh, for a solution that somehow, some way, God would provide and meet the need of these churches. And so we, uh, we began to pray, we began to fast, I put up the challenge last week, and I asked our church to consider giving something towards this project. And folks, I want to tell you now what happened. Um, we, we met our goal. We reached our $800. We reached our $1,800. We didn't just reach, HD, we didn't just reach $1,800. We came up with $6,000. <laughs> So uh, I told Delson, I said, Delson, it looks like God doesn't want to just put a roof on, our, on Cross Church Mutambara. God wants to put a roof on those other churches that aren't associated with us. And so we're just thanking God for this, folks. It's the power of prayer and fasting. So, so I, I had this little exchange with him on WhatsApp, and he asked, how much was raised there for the roofs? And I said, we have about 6,000 Canadian dollars. Whoa! That should be enough. And then, whoa, again. And it was buona asifu. What does that mean? Well, I knew that. God be praised. <laughs> I have the gift of interpretation, but not for <laughs> Kirundi. <laughs> so anyways, uh, we're just rejoicing and praising God for that. So how do we say it again? Buona asifu. Yeah, that. So... So we're, thank you. I'm so glad that you're here to teach us. 
So we're praising God, and uh, I just say along with Delson, whoa, that is fantastic. So we're, we're praising God. We're thanking God for your willingness to get involved. It's amazing what happens when we pray and fast. I want to tell you what the next step is after praying and fasting, because a lot of us have prayed and fasted, and we wonder, well, what's next? You prayed and asked God, oh, God, please intervene. God, please let the answer come. And then you just sort of wait for the answer to fall out of the sky. Well, I'm going to tell you this morning, in all my years of ministry, um, I got to tell you that it's only happened where God dropped, literally dropped something in my lap. Just very, very few times, almost every single time I had to rise up and do something. And we're going to talk about that this morning. But before we do, let me just give you a quick recap on the story of Esther. Esther was made queen of the Persian Empire. You remember she replaced Queen Vashti because Queen Vashti refused to come and, and model for the king. So the king said, that's it, you're out. We can't afford to have a women's liberation movement and that will destroy and cause confusion throughout the empire. So now Esther's in place. We discover that Esther has been put in place by God, by his divine movement, or what I would like to call the choreography of the Holy Spirit. And we discover that, that Haman, who hates, absolutely hates the Jews, has actually convinced the king in a very tricky, sneaky way to issue a decree that all the Jewish people should be slaughtered throughout the empire. And the empire is some 50 million people, and Jews are scattered throughout the empire. God knows that Esther needs to be in that place. How did this all happen? Well, you know the story. Haman was honored by the king, and, and the decree went out that everybody was to bow down to Haman. But the problem is a Jewish person can never bow down to anybody because that's a form of idolatry. So Mordecai, who's a strong Jewish man, decides there's no way on earth I'm bowing down to Haman. And so while everybody else is bowing down and licking Haman's boots, there's Mordecai. And it infuriates Haman. You'll notice, and if you, if you have, I hope you've read Esther, but you'll notice, if you read Esther, that they, they continually refer, or their book continually refers to Haman as Haman the, Ag the Agagite. And uh, some of you may remember your church history, or your, your Old Testament history, remember King, King Agag, that King Saul refused to kill. Remember God said, you must kill King Agag and all his people, but, but Saul refused to do that, and actually it was... Uh, Samuel, who came along and, and ran the king through. Well, we, what we do know is that Haman is actually, he is a descendant of that king. And, and you'll see throughout the book of Esther, it's at least five times. It's Haman the Agagite, Haman the Agagite, Haman the Agagite. Okay, we get it. Haman the Agagite, five times. What is the author of, of Esther telling us? The author of Esther is telling us that Haman is not just Mordecai's enemy, but Haman's people are the enemies of the Jewish people. And what Haman wants to do is he wants to wipe out the Jewish people. Well, we know that this is a satanically inspired plan. It's a plot. It's a scheme that comes right out of the pit of hell. But how many know today the greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. 
We know today that God is greater. And whatever hell, whatever hell comes up with, whatever scheme Satan comes up with, God is not sitting in heaven thinking, oh no, now what are we gonna do? The devil's gonna get me. No way. God's got plans in place to, to counteract every single move from the pit of hell. I want to talk about this, that this morning. I want to talk about how God uses us to do his will on earth as it is in heaven. So Mordecai says to Queen Esther, Queen Esther, do you think that you are now the queen of the Persian Empire just for your own luxury, just for your uh, own ease and comfort? No way, Esther. If, if the Jews of this empire are put to death, then you will also die because that's what the law says. And then he says to Queen Esther, who knows, but that you're here for such a time as this. I love these video clips that we've been showing the last four weeks and how, uh, how we see Dennis uh, Weeb coming to do the work in Burundi for such a time as this and, and Carolyn O'Neill coming on board at Cross Church for such a time as this and, and Janet Chow last week leaving IBM and coming to us for such a time as this and now Chris Silkey coming here for such a time as this. Esther understands that she is the queen of Persia for such a time as this. And I want the Spirit of God to speak to you right now because you are where you are right now for such a time as this. God wants you to be with us in this church for such a time as this. God wants to use you where you are, where you work, in your community for such a time as this. Going to the king Esther tells Mordecai, without an invitation, is in fact punishable by death. And unless the king extends the royal scepter, which is a little bit bigger than this, unless the king extends a golden scepter for her to touch, she is a dead woman. So Esther gets everybody, in, the, in all the Jewish people in the kingdom, or particularly in Susa, to pray and fast, to go without water and food for three days. Now, we pray and we fast to bolster our faith. Everybody understands that this morning. That's why we pray, because we need, we need courage, we need strength, we need faith to do what God wants us to do to get us through the difficult time that we are going through. And I know that everybody here today has got something, someone. You're a, a son, a daughter, a granddaughter, a grandson, uh, a problem with somebody that, that doesn't love Jesus and needs to come back to God. There's a problem at work. There's a problem with your health. There's a problem in your marriage. Everybody here today has got something. This is why we pray and fast. This is why we cry out to God because we're desperate. But what do we do after we pray and fast? And please don't anybody say we eat. Please don't say that. <laughs> what do we do after we pray and fast? What is the next step? See, for all of us, when we're going through a difficult time or a struggle, the very first thing that you and I need to do is we need to pray at the minimum and pray and fast at the most and possibly get others in on board with you to pray and to fast. For most people, they believe that after they've prayed or after they've prayed and fasted, that's the end of the matter. They don't have to do anything. Now they just sit and wait for God to drop the answer out of the sky. But praying and fasting, folks, you need to understand is just the beginning. Praying and fasting is just the beginning. Tell the person beside you, praying and fasting is just the beginning. Okay, so what's the next step then? 
What do you do once you've prayed and fasted? Once your faith has been strengthened and once God has poured courage into your heart, what's the next step? Well, I'm gonna tell you what the next step. It's action. You need to do something. You need to respond to the prompting and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I know. After serving God for a good portion of my life, I know that God is constantly prompting me and telling me what I need to do next. Now, for those of you who have not been serving God or, have, or, or don't serve God, or maybe you're not a Christian yet, then you're maybe not gonna quite understand this. But for those of us who have been Christians and who understand we have a personal relationship with God, then here's what we know. We know that God is constantly speaking to us and prompting us and leading us and guiding us and showing us, go here, go here, speak to this one, speak to that one, step back, go forward, but we're constantly being led by the Spirit of God. This is a thrilling thing about being a Christian, amen? Thank you, Thomas. Oh, somebody else said that? Well, God bless you whoever said that. Put the spotlight on you. What happens when we pray and fast? Prayer produces in us courage to act. James gives us an example of this. Uh, James is he's uh, written this letter, the epistle to the uh, just James's epistle, and he says, if a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, "Go in peace, be warmed and filled," without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Did you hear that? So we could say, but. Delson, we're going to pray and fast for you, and may, may God cover you with his supernatural covering, his supernatural roof. I mean, Pentecostals, we can get really spiritual, I'll come up with some really good spiritual language, but most of it's rubbish. God bless you, my dear, poor, naked brother and sister, those who don't have food. May God warm you and give you peace and fill you. And, and here's what James says. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? <laughs> Strong words. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Did you hear that? You can pray, you can fast, you can declare your faith, but if you're not doing anything about the need that's before you, then James says it's all useless. In another place, he says, faith without works is what? Dead. And this is why so many people look at the church and say, man, none of it makes sense to me. But if they could see us as the army of God who doesn't just pray and fast, but responds to the impulses of the Holy Spirit doing what God has called us to do, then they would say, well, there's something supernatural about this group of people, amen? So in other words, it's not enough just to pray and fast. That's the first step, but it's not the last step. Remember last week, I told you how I prayed and fasted for my wife. I was going to spend a whole weekend just praying and fasting and asking God to help me. And after I prayed and fast, I didn't just open the, the deck doors and then go look into the sky to see if God was dropping a wife from heaven for me. Here she comes. Yes, God answers prayer. No, after God revealed to me that Gloria Housen was the girl for me, I had to get the courage to ask her to go for coffee. And I gotta tell you, for some guys, it's easy to do that for me. I was so shy. It was so hard for me to do. But 
the moment was there, and I just felt the Holy Spirit pushing me. Did anybody know what I'm talking about? It's the Holy Spirit it's like literally pushing me towards Gloria and saying, ask her out for breakfast. And so what we did is we went for breakfast to the country kitchen on Main Street. And, uh, and I don't know if that was an amen or not, but we went to country kitchen and we, we, we were there from early morning and we stayed right through the afternoon. I think we were there until supper. And we just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. It was absolutely fantastic. That place is now Manuk's Denture Clinic. <laughs> In case you want to know. We don't go there for dates anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe what I made, maybe never. Um, it's not enough just to pray and fast, folks. You got to take action. You got you to step up and do the thing that God is prompting you to do. And I'm going to tell you, this is the joy of being a Christian. This is the joy of serving God, is that the Holy Spirit is at work in us, guiding us and leading us and prompting us. And if you're not experiencing that, you are missing out on so much, people. You're missing out on the joy of walking with God every day. After we, we prayed, in, this building we're sitting in, I don't know if you know this or not, but this used to be a Safeway. And there's Ken over there sitting in the, in the fruit and nut section or whatever it is. <laughs> this used to be a Safeway building. So we began, I, I, we, I started fasting and praying. I didn't even tell anybody about it. I just began to fast and pray. And then I felt God telling me, okay, tell the, tell the deacons, the board members. We told the board members. And then we started to fast and pray. But we didn't just sit back and then just sit by the phone every day waiting for it to ring and hoping that safely we'll phone and say, hey, do you want our building? It didn't work that way. We had to take action. We started praying. We started talking about it. And it turns out Marilyn knew the, knew the lawyer of Safeway of Canada and, that just, and knew other lawyers and on and on it went. And next thing you know, God was opening the door for us. Folks, even becoming a Christian, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. It takes action. We got to step out. But folks, to do this, it takes courage. Dr. Paul Hawks, my Old Testament professor, what a, an amazing man. Intense. Um, and it, he had an amazing sense of humor, but if he wasn't smiling, he was and on a mission. And I actually really, really liked him a lot. And I got talking to him one day, and I said, you know, uh, Dr. Hawks, can you just tell me a little bit about praying and getting answers to prayer? Because at that time, I was reading a lot of Kenneth Hagin books and whatever. I won't get into that. But uh, without being too rude about it, <laughs> he said to me, Alan, listen, you need to pray. And I know that you go to the men's, uh, men's prayer room every night and you pray, and that's fantastic. But it's not enough just to pray. After you've prayed, you've got to screw up your courage and get to work. You've got to do the things that God wants you to do. And I've never forgotten that. And that's how we've tried to function here at Cross Church. We pray, we fast, we cry out to God, and then we get busy. Because we don't believe that God just drops things out of the sky. I always get a kick out of people saying, hey, I've got my exams coming up. Could you please pray for me? And I, wanna, I always want to say, yeah, I'll pray, but I th suggest that you study. <laughs> 
not idea, not a bad idea to pray, but I really suggest that you don't lean on just that strategy. You, you, you got to study as well. Amen? So Esther prays, and now she's got the courage to act. And so here's this wonderful, wonderful verse. Um, James 2.20, do you want to be showing you foolish person that faith apart from works is useless? And so it's as if James has just spoken to Esther's heart. And here's what it says. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court. And the king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. You see those words, those highlighted words? Read them with me. Put on her royal robes and entered the inner court. After she prayed and fasted, she got busy. She went to work. She rolled up her sleeves and she said, now I got a job to do. I'm going to do it. Look at this. This is actually a a relief. Um, uh, It's in one of the museums, I think, in Britain. But this is the king. Uh, We believe that might be King uh, Darius and, and, and just holding court. And you'll notice he's holding in his hand that scepter that Esther talks, that talks about in Esther. And these, uh, these, whoever these men are, we don't know who they are. They're, I tell you, it's not Esther. But these men have come to, to the king, and uh, he holds out his, his scepter. And if he, if he holds it out, and you are given the opportunity to touch that golden scepter, then you're going to live. If he doesn't hold it out, then you're a dead man. You're a dead woman. So here's Esther taking that step of courage, She's walking towards the king. She has no idea what he's going to do. Remember I told you last week that King Xerxes was a madman. He was just a nut job. Remember that? Remember when when the storm came up and it destroyed the bridge that his his engineers built? He actually had them all beheaded? I mean, really, can we stop? Can we really stop a storm? Well, that'll teach those engineers. Has them killed, and then he gets his soldiers, 300 soldiers, to whip the sea. That'll teach the sea, give the sea a, a lesson. And then gets some red hot pokers and pokes the sea. That'll teach the sea. You remember that? And even throws uh, uh, handcuffs into the sea. We're gonna, we're gonna shackle the sea. We'll teach them a lesson. So this is the nut job that she's gotta go now and ask for help from. No wonder she's saying, Everybody, you gotta pray for me. So there she is. She's prayed, she's fasted, she's now taken courage, and she's going now to the king. There's a wonderful course that we sing. It's actually one of my favorites. It's by Phil Wickham. Anybody know what it is? This is Amazing Grace. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness, whose love is mighty and so much stronger, the king of glory, the king above all kings, who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder. The king of glory, the king above all kings. Aren't you glad I'm not singing this? Who breaks, who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The king of glory, the king of glory. Who rules the nations with truth and justice? Who shines like the sun in all its brilliance? The king of glory, the king above all kings. What sets in motion the power of God in your life? What sets in motion this kind of power? Well, let's look at that verse again. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court. 
And the king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. Did you see this? This is so powerful. It's so massive. It's so important. She didn't put on her sword and she didn't, she didn't get her cohort of bodyguards together to go and do what she had to do. She just simply put on her robes and prepared to go before the king. It was an, an act of courage. Now let the Spirit of God speak to you right now because some of you are facing really difficult times and you've been scratching your head, been trying to figure out what to do and how you're going to do it and how you're going to get through it. And what God's telling you to do is just step up and do it. What sets the sets in motion the power of God in this situation, it begins when Esther puts on her royal robes and enters the inner court. And her, you know what her attitude is? This is what she literally says. She says to Mordecai, if I die, I die. Did you get that? If I die, I die. Hey, you know what? This is what faith is all about. This is what courage is all about. It's this attitude that says, I'm throwing myself on the mercy of God. If I die, I die. It's, it's all in God's hands. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to take that, take that step of faith? It takes courage. It takes anointing the power of God. But folks, listen to me. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If I die, I die. But I can tell you one thing, I'm gonna do what I need to do. And I don't care what anybody says, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm stepping up and I'm gonna do what I gotta do. I'm putting on my royal robes and I'm going to go and do what I gotta do. Wow. Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to pray. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why does he tell us to pray this? I'm going to tell you why. Because we are working in partnership and in cooperation with God. Did everybody hear that today? For so many of us, we want to sit back and just let God do all the work. And God says, no, that's not how it works. We're partners. We're praying, God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're partnering with you, God. We are your agents here on earth. And God decides he wants to partner with Queen Esther to save the Jewish people whose lives are in danger on earth as it is in heaven. Now, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, those of us who have got a strong walk with God, here's what you need to know. God wants to use you where you are to do his work on earth as it is in heaven. You are his ambassador. You are his agent. You are his man of God. You are his woman of God. And he's calling you to step up and do the thing he wants you to do. But you gotta step up. You gotta put on your royal robes and you gotta enter into the inner court. And if you die, you die. So be it. But God, here I am. Use me to do your work on earth as it is in heaven. Some would say hallelujah. This is what God wants for you, my friends. You and I are God's agents doing his will on earth. Esther's first step was to pray and to fast. Her second step was to take courage. And boy, when she put, listen, this is what happens. As soon as she put on her royal robes and entered into the inner court where the king was sitting, I'm gonna tell you, this is what happened. Wow. She unleashed the mighty and terrifying power of heaven. 
Her step of faith put in motion a massive supernatural machine that no power in heaven or on earth could stop. As soon as she put on her royal robes and entered the inner court, she was declaring to heaven and to earth, I am on the Lord's side. I'm about to do the work and the will of God and nothing's gonna stop me, hallelujah. This, my friends, is what it means to be an agent of Almighty God. What's God telling you to do? You've been sitting back and chewing your nails. You're terrified of taking that step of faith. Your marriage is struggling. Your kids are rebelling. You've got all kinds, of, and you're not doing anything about it. You say, but pastor, I'm praying. Great, pray, but what, what are you going to do? What step is God telling you to take? And I love this. Oh, my goodness. When the king saw Queen Esther standing there, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. Wow, wow. If I die, I die. But look at that, she didn't die. Now this shouldn't surprise us. And it's easy to read the book and say, yeah, that doesn't surprise me, but why is it that in our own lives we're terrified? Why is it in our own lives When God does come through, we're so surprised. Well, it shouldn't surprise us. And I'll tell you why. Because we're told in Proverbs 21, verse 1, that God holds the heart of the king in his hand and directs it like a water course. Did you hear that? King Xerxes, you're not the final word. You don't have the final word. You don't have the final say. You think you're supreme and you're the king of kings. And by the way, that is where that phrase comes from originally. It comes from the Persians who declared that their king, their emperor, was the king of kings. But I'm going to tell you today that Xerxes is not the king of kings. Jesus Christ is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is supreme. He reigns. He rules. And this is who you're serving. This is who you're serving. Wow. The queen stood before the king, and the king says, yes, whatever you want. What do you want? I'll give you up to half of my my empire. She says, I don't want half your empire. But before I tell you what I do want, how about come to my place for a banquet? In fact, while you're at it, King Xerxes, would you bring your friend Haman? Oh, Haman's so happy. Oh, I'm getting, look how distinguished. I get to go to a banquet with the king and Esther. He goes home, he's so happy, he tells his wife, his wife is over the, oh, we gotta, let's, you know what, this is the time to get that Mordecai. She says to him, erect that 75-foot pole that we can impale Mordecai on it. And oh, Haman's excited. He is being honored above everybody else, invited to a banquet, just the king and the queen and Haman. And they show up at the banquet, and Esther says, you know what? I want to have another banquet. Come tomorrow for the second banquet. And that night, the king couldn't sleep. And he says, I can't sleep. Bring out the books. Bring out the records. I just want to see what's been going on in my empire. And he discovers that there was a man by the name of Mordecai. Is this a coincidence? There's a man by the name of Mordecai that actually discovered a plot to kill the king and exposed these two eunuchs that wanted to kill the king. And the king said, well, what was done for Mordecai to honor him? And they discovered it was nothing. 
Nothing was done. So the king thinks, hmm, what shall I do? So he calls in Haman. He says, Haman, what should be done for the man that the king delights to honor? And Haman thinks, well, that must be me. I must be the one that the king delights to honor. So he comes up with a great plan. He says, King Xerxes, pretending to be modest, pretending he doesn't think it's him. He says, what you should do is you should get one of the great noblemen of the city and put that man on the king's horse, not just any horse, but the king's horse, and put the king's robe on his shoulders. And then let that nobleman parade this man that you wish to honor throughout the city. And Haman's just thinking, oh, it's going to be me. It's going to be me. And the king says, okay, Haman, that's what you're going to do for Mordecai. Don't you love the way God works? Oh, I just love this so much. So Haman is, the Bible says he's filled with grief. <laughs> he's filled as if somebody died. That's, he is filled with such grief. And so he leads, uh, leads Mordecai through the city. And now he is madder than ever. He can hardly wait to get that Mordecai impaled on a stick for all to see. He wants to kill Mordecai. Well, the, the night of the second banquet rolls around and they've eaten and Esther is asked by the king once again, what's your request, Esther? Why did you want to eat? And Esther says, well, I'm glad that you asked me that question. She said, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life and spare my people. Well, you, you can just hear the music screeching to a stop and pardon? I would like you, your majesty, to spare my life and spare my people. And, and King Xerxes knows immediately what's going on. He goes, okay, who is it? Who's threatening your life? Tell me now who is doing this. And Esther says, him. Haman. Haman goes white. The king is so outraged that he can't even stand to sit there. He gets up, walks out of the room, takes a little, little walk around in the garden. And while he's out going for a walk, Haman, knowing that his only hope is to get mercy from Esther, he throws himself on Esther, begging for mercy. And just as he is on top of Esther, the king walks in. And the king exclaims, will you even molest the queen while she's with me in my house? Oh, it's fantastic. And immediately the soldiers come in and usher Haman out and put him on the pole that was meant for Mordecai. Wow. This is what happens People, when you and I rise up in the courage of God to do the work God wants us to do, when we put on those robes and enter the inner court, simple, simple step of faith and obedience. The king asks Esther, what else do you want? And Esther says, look at, sir, you have issued an edict saying that all the Jews should be killed. And the king says, well, it's, it's a, it's a law that cannot be revoked, but I'm going to issue another edict, granting the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, 
to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them. And the Bible says the Jews were more than conquerors. And folks, you and I are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And not a Jew died. And folks, to this day, the Jewish people still celebrate this event, and they call it Purim. Maybe you've heard of it. It's, we, we still practice it every year. But I'm going to tell you something that I discovered that I hadn't seen before. I don't know why I didn't see this. And maybe because I'm not a good pastor or scholar. I don't know what it is. But this verse, it just escaped me. But listen to this. In Esther 8, 17, it says, And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. Did you hear that? I never heard of that before. I'd somehow missed that. The, the, the nationalities around and throughout the empire saw what happened with the Jewish people. And because they were so amazed at what God had done for the Jewish people, they actually converted to Judaism. Now, I want the Spirit of God to speak to you right now, my friends. That verse is there for a reason. I'm going to tell you, when you and I rise up in the courage of the Holy Spirit and do what God wants us to do, I'm going to tell you what happens. It is, it is a beacon. It is a light to a lost world that's in darkness, that's looking for the truth. And when they see what God will do in your life, then God will do the same in their life. And you will see people come to Jesus when they see that your faith is real. Amen? Wow. Something supernatural happens when you and I Take that first courageous step. All of heaven is mobilized. What does God want to do in your life right now? You're looking for a new job? Don't just sit there and pray about it. Go sign up for that course. Go knock on doors. Answer that newspaper ad. Go, go walk the streets until you find the thing that God wants you to do. What are you waiting for? Because here's what I'm going to tell you. Well, you're sitting there waiting for God to drop something out of the heavens for you, the angels, the mighty hosts of heaven is on standby waiting for you to make your move. Did you hear that? The mighty hosts of heaven is standing by waiting. They're just like, okay, ready? Make the, make the move, Deb. I'm, we're, we're waiting. We're going to back you. As soon as you get up, put on those robes. and enter, We're ready. We're ready to do this thing. Let's go. You just see the angels of heaven. Just, they're just just biting on the bit, ready to go. Let's do this thing. And it's not just the angels of heaven. It's the mighty power, the spirit of almighty, holy God standing by, just waiting, waiting for you to rise up and do what God's called you to do. And more than that, folks, the church, the real believers, those who really are followers of Jesus Christ, they too are saying, God, show us what to do. We're on standby. We're ready to do what you got to do. This is what happened with Burundi. Delson lets us know about this mighty wind that came through Ramonge. And they cried out to God and the hosts of heaven and the spirit of almighty God and the church of Jesus Christ. We're all on standby, ready to do what God wants us to do. I thank God that my grandparents, they didn't just sit around and pray for us kids to be, get saved. They actually got in their car and made sure we came to church. They invited us to their home. They prayed with us. They shared the gospel with us. They got us to church. They introduced us to the pastor. They got us into Sunday school. But I'm going to tell you, they got busy. My mother did the same thing, got busy. What are you doing? 
for your grandkids, your kids, your husband, your wife that is lost and doesn't know Jesus. Here's what I'm going to tell you, folks. It's time to rise up. It's time to take the step of faith like Esther and understand this. God has given us a command. It's a command and it's a promise. Did you get that? It's a command and it's a promise. And here's what it says. So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. Did you get that? Why? For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Some would say hallelujah. So it's time for you to make a move. You're struggling financially? Get on the phone, right? Just tomorrow morning or whenever, maybe even today, call that financial advisor. You haven't struggled with your marriage? Call that marriage counselor. Struggling with your health? Call the gym. Make, get your membership. Wasting your time? Disconnect the cable. Shaw works on Sunday. Sign up for that class that you need to take. You've been praying for someone to become a Christian? Invite them to church. And don't be cheap. Buy them lunch. Ask your son and daughter, your grand, grandson, your granddaughter to come to church with you. You've given up on them. You think, oh, well, just keep praying. Look, it, it, you've done your praying. Now get busy. Take action. It's, oh, I'm afraid to. Yeah, that's right. That's why it takes courage. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't panic. What's your grandson going to do? The worst they could do is say no. But if you promise some lunch at Cadobas, <laughs> he might say yes. You want to win your friend to Christ? Screw up your courage and tell the story of what God has done for you. God's been speaking to you about going on a missions trip. You're waiting for money to fall out of heaven. Not going to happen. Sign up and then watch what God will do. I remember talking to Pastor Barber once. I said, Pastor Barber, do you find it difficult? This is when I was just, I was still in Bible school and I was home over the summer. I said, Pastor Barber, do you ever, do you find it difficult to share your faith? Because it was going through that personal evangelism course. And you have to go and knock on doors. I said, is it difficult? I thought, Pastor, the great Pastor Barber, this will be a cinch for him. He's been a pastor for many years and flows in the spirit. Pastor Barber, do you find it difficult to share your faith? Oh, I've got to screw up my courage. That surprised me. I thought it would be something really spiritual. No, I've got to screw up my courage. And so do you. And so do I. Would you stand with me, please? Hallelujah. God, we thank you today for the story of Esther, how it thrills our hearts. There's so many lessons here. But God, we recognize the one big lesson that we have to take with us as we go from here today. Because all of us would say probably we're pretty unremarkable people. We're just, we're just simple people that want to honor God. Well, Lord, you turn simple, ordinary people into great heroes when your peoples rise up in courage with courage, and do the thing that you've called us to do. So God, I pray right now, you're anointing upon everyone here this morning, and I send them from this place with power, with anointing, with courage to go and do the thing that you've been telling them to do. Spirit of the living God, follow us afresh and empower us to do your work. And 
We pray all this in Jesus' name. Tell the person beside you, go and take action in Jesus' name.